0: Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Justin Peters. I hope that you and your family are doing well today. Want to thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I want to share an interview today with you, an interview that was done by Jim Osmond, my friend and former pastor, when we lived in Sandpoint, Idaho, that he did with a man named Bruce Morak. Bruce uh, is a man that I did not know until about five weeks or so ago, and uh, but Bruce and Jim and Josh Comstock and J.K. some more friends of mine, uh, we all went to the Shepherds Conference together. And for Bruce, this was his first shepherd's conference. Uh Bruce is a, a pastor, he's been a missionary, uh, but he and he's always wanted to go to a shepherd's conference, has never been able to until this year. And so this was his first one, but in all likelihood it will also be his last one, uh, because as uh Bruce has cancer, very, very severe cancer, it is all throughout uh the trunk of his body in many, many organs. And uh, of course, God is in control of all of these things, but as best we know, um, in all likelihood, he he probably will not be able to go to another one. He very well may not see the end of this year. Um, I want you to hear his testimony. Jim is going to interview him and ask him about his testimony, how he came to Christ and uh, his years as a missionary and also his um, time now as a pastor in California. And um, I just want you to hear about God's sovereign grace in his life. I want you to see just a beautiful example of his sufficient grace, his strength made perfect in weakness. And as you watch this interview, you'll see that um, things have not been easy for him. Um, This is a trial, it's a very severe trial. And trials are not enjoyable. That's why they're called trials. So it is not an enjoyable thing uh, to go through this cancer. But he can have joy through the midst of these trials. He he can count it as joy because he knows who God is. He knows God. God knows him, and he knows he he can rest in the sovereignty of God. And um, this is a I think this will be a real encouragement to you maybe you're watching this and you have cancer, or maybe your spouse does, or maybe you or your child or a family member or a friend has cancer. You know, if, if we don't have cancer ourselves, all of us, I think I can safely say all of us know someone who does have cancer. And so I, I think this will be a great encouragement to you. So um, watch this, share this, um, and and also notice that this is what A real Christian looks like. This is what real faith looks like. This is what knowing God looks like. Um, what you're about to see is completely foreign to the Word of Faith movement, the health and wealth gospel. There is no provision for this kind of suffering or trial in the Word of Faith movement. There, there, there's no, there's no place in that bankrupt theological system. For what you're about to see. And um, so I, 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 this is just a beautiful example of God's sufficient grace. Uh, Psalm 119.71 says that it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Um, all things are not good. it is Cancer is not a good thing. Uh, car accidents, those are not good things. Abuse of whatever form, those are not good things. These are in and of themselves, they are not good. But but God does work all these things out that in and of themselves are not good. He works all of them out together for the good. And it is good for us as Christians when we are afflicted so that we might learn God's statutes because it's in times of trials that we are forced to lean harder on God. So dear ones, I trust that this will be a great encouragement to you. I think it will. Please do share it with your friends, family members, anyone you know that might have cancer. I think it will be a great encouragement to them. Without any further delay, here's Bruce.
1: All right, I want to introduce you to my friend Bruce Morrock. Bruce, you and I have known each other since 2005. At correct? least, right. Yeah. So uh, we've got a little bit of a story we want to tell here. Not so much about how you and I met, because that's really irrelevant yeah. to all of this, but a little bit about your background, uh, your salvation, what the Lord has done in your life, and then after that, uh, what you're going through now. So let's begin with the story of your conversion. Tell us how it is that the Lord sovereignly saved you.
2: Yeah, it's actually a pretty amazing story. Um, uh, My my girlfriend, soon-to-be wife, uh, had uh, an aunt, a cousin, who constantly left Christian literature around the house. And... um, and I would take that literature and toss it. I threw away at least 30 pamphlets and books that were Christian because I just wanted wasn't interested at that time and had grown up in the Catholic church, but had rejected it. My parents didn't go to church. And I thought, this is kind of a farce. And so the first, the first time that they said, you don't have to go to church anymore was the last day I went to church. But, but uh, one night I came home from a, a party And there was a book sitting on the coffee table and the name of the book was dear dad. This is to announce my death." And I sat down and read that book and it was the story of my life. So it talked about good time, Charlie and how he was the hit of all the parties and the, and the the funny guy and uh, the guy who could drink the most and on and on like that. Uh, addicted to rock and roll, and drugs, and music, and immorality, but inside, empty. And this book exposed all of that. And uh, then at the end of the book, uh, there was the sinner's prayer, and I prayed that prayer somewhere around 5 o'clock in the morning in September of seventy-four. And I believe, I sensed, that a transaction took place. Uh, in terms of forgiveness of sin. So um, I was kind of promoting atheism, but deep down in my heart, I knew there was a God, and I knew that God could not wait to get his hands on me. You were so guilty. my philosophy in life was eat, drink, and be merry, because once, once he gets his hands on me, it's going to be hell. And so uh, anyway, I prayed that prayer. I didn't know what to do. Didn't say go to church or find fellowship or start reading the Bible. So for two years, I called those my incubator years. Um, I just carried a New Testament in my back pocket yeah. and that was my symbol, the symbol that I was something. Now um, your your girlfriend, fiance,
1: eventually your wife I became presume. my wife. Yeah. yeah. Was she a believer at this time? It happened afterwards.
2: She was a Jesus person. She had come to Christ. During the Jesus movement. Okay. Okay. So,
1: what year was this? You say? Seventy-four. Uh, okay. So right after. The, right after. In the middle of that revolution. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. So she went to Bible studies, but it was all about color aura and numerology and Jesus and you know some other things like that. But she had she was living a godly life with the one minor exception. Yeah. <laughs> but or she uh, was living with you. Yeah. But, um, anyway, uh, I prayed the prayer that night and before the sun came up, I asked her to marry me. I just somehow knew that was the right thing to do. And we did within a month after that. But, uh, but anyway, for two years, for two years, I pretty much lived the same way. My life didn't change much, but I was much more miserable in my sin and, uh, and then through a series of circumstances, which I won't go into in any detail, uh, I got introduced to a couple in Sandpoint, Idaho. By this time, i moved all the way across the country via the Air Force. And, uh, and, um, this couple basically introduced us to Christ. And when, uh, when the gospel was explained to Linda, she says, you know, I, I've lived that life. I've tried to live for Jesus, but I don't ever remember making that decision. So she, that day, this lady invited her to make the decision, and she did. Um, when they asked me if I wanted to, I said, "You know what? I believe I'm a Christian, and um, and uh, you know that I, but I just haven't been growing. You know, or I didn't even know what word to use. You know, but." But uh, so that was basically the day that we both m- start measuring our growth, which was July 12th, 1976. So from that point on, uh, they uh, this couple introduced us to another couple. And that couple ended up taking care of us, taking us under their wings and raising us up in, in the faith and uh, treating us like their very own children, invited us into their home and, and explained the gospel and explained christian life and and then in september of that same year uh this the lady the my my spiritual mother said bruce i believe god's called you to preach the gospel and uh that was august and by september i was in bible school of what year of 76 so two years after
1: you got saved you were in bible school yeah now, when you and I met in 2005, uh, you and I were cut basically from the same theological cloth in that we both affirmed the doctrines of sovereign grace in salvation. So you obviously would not have been in that camp all along. What was that transition like? Where were you introduced to some of that belief
2: in the sovereignty of God? Well, I think I uh, at least a couple of of the professors at, at uh, college were teaching the, the, the reform position and. And I remember uh, with one of them was Bush Gore and going through the book of Romans with him and going through the book of Hebrews with him and just just loving the, the God of the sovereign God that was presented in those books. And so uh, so I learned to, to love it and then and then read, read the guys that were writing from that position. And and uh, so I just be- began to understand understand the scriptures that way and understand my life that way, that God was sovereignly in control. Yeah, so you you came to understand the the
1: sovereignty of God in all of life, particularly in the realm of salvation, and now you look back on your life and you can see how God has guided your steps, took you to the
2: mission field, in what year? Well, we went to southern Idaho in 19—we got got the call in 1986 uh, from a little missions conference in our home church. And I felt that the preacher was speaking to me. Kept moving over to make sure he wasn't speaking to the guy behind me. But, but, uh, and so we went to our to our elders at the in the church, and we said, "We think maybe God's calling us to missions. What do you think?" And of course, I was a Bible college graduate. Yeah, I was new at the church. I was a teacher. I expected them to say, "Absolutely, yeah, no kidding." <laughs> they said, "Well, we we see some potential." <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first humbling, which I accepted from the sovereign hand of God. And But uh, eventually we went out to southern Idaho to train with migrant workers. Worked two years. I worked out in the fields with them. And and uh, even for a while, the, the church said, we're going to send this much money every month. I said, no, 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 don't send any money. They don't get any money. Talking about the migrants. Yeah. So, um Anyway, so I tried to live off my salary working in the, in the fields with the migrants, and uh, but I wasn't making ends meet. So one day I'm talking to Guillermo, the guy beside me, and I said, so how do you guys, like, how do you pay the rent and on and on? And he starts saying, well, you see that guy over there? And he's my uncle. And you see that gal over there? And he must have pointed out 25 or 30 people. And he said, we all live in the same house. <laughs> And I went, oh, so it's $4.25 times 20, 25. I went, oh, and I called the church that night and I said, hey, send money. <laughs> but anyway, that's where we started our training. And then uh, two years later in 91, we crossed the border into Mexico. And uh, and then basically we were there until I met you. Yeah. Uh, took, took six years out of Mexico and came back and directed La Lake Bible Camp. Then, being like I am, I started hanging around Coca-Cola for six years, and then I started looking around, see what else needed to be done out there. And just coincidentally, Linda was surfing the Internet and said, hey, Pueblo Christian School needs a principal again. And I went, they do? And next thing you know, we're back in Mexico, basically back at my saved dog, back in the same house. Yeah, you, and you, you, uh, When the Lord saved you,
1: you were a greasy-haired, yeah, migrant, non-worker, uh, hippie, basically, yeah, kind of roaming around, yeah, sleeping wherever you could. Uh, how long did it take you to cut your hair after Lord save you? Well, you I did cut cleaner, my hair. Pretty think that
2: guy, you are now. <laughs> You're alluding to something I can tell. Yeah. Well, I had a guy that lived out on the road where I lived out. His name was Vern Hawkins. And he had a barbershop in town, remember? Vern Hawkins. And uh, he used to give me the evil eye every time I drove by. And uh, one day I walked into Vern Hawkins' shop. And I sat there and there was a guy in the chair. And so Burn's looking at me and wondering what in the world I'm up to. And when I got into Vern Hawkins' chair, I said, uh, take it all off, which he obliged <laughs> And uh he was pretty excited about being able to shave this hippie and he really took it down to to nubs. And I'll tell you what, I I walked out of there because here's what happened. My spiritual father, uh I I I had a panic session where I saw this this phrase about doesn't custom teach you or doesn't tradition I forget what the word is there, but yeah. Uh, that it's unnatural for oh. a man to have long hair. That's not even nature itself. That's not even nature itself, but I think, yeah. Show you.
0: It's
2: but anyways, man have long so hair. I had I had a panic attack, and I ran to my spiritual father, and I said, well, what does this mean, you know, because I was a long hair. And, and uh, he says, well, it means the 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 times, the the nature or the customs of the times. And I said, well, look around you. We're in San Point, Idaho in the 70s. Everybody had long hair, right? <laughs> He said, "Just think about uh, the people in our church. What if your long hair would offend one of them?" And at that point in my life, all I wanted to do was please Jesus. And so, when I when I heard that, I went, <gasps> and I cut my hair off. And so, when Burn, who thought he did me did me wrong, uh, cut off my hair. I said I walked out of there feeling so free, like I had done the right thing yeah. for Jesus. Jesus was proud of me, and and so uh, it was really a great victory for me, and I didn't mind at all that I had no hair. So. All right. So you have you have
1: uh, went to the mission field, came back. We're in Sandpoint for a while, back to the mission field. Now you're
2: currently ministering where and with whom? Well, when we came, we decided to leave Mexico in 2018 because – I had basically trained to be a preacher, and it's something I always thought that I would retire, that I would go out preaching. And, uh, and so, so when we decided uh, in 2018, I had to make a major decision e- either to make a long term commitment in Mexico or terminate my relationship there, and, uh, so that they could get the right person in. Yeah. And, uh, cause it was an educational thing and uh, that was my career field, my expertise. So, uh, in 2018, we came out of Mexico and basically hooked up with village missions and village mission sends pastors to rural dying North American churches. Uh, basically that's, that's who they're looking for to rescue those churches. Uh, it's because the, the villages are dying and the towns are dying. And so are the churches, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, so we went with village missions, and with village missions, you say yes, and then they say where. And, um, and it's not quite that cut, uh, clear cut, but, but, uh, anyway, they sent me to Fryant, California, which, if you're from Northern Idaho and they send you to California, that's like a, that's the opposite. It's like a swear word, you know, yeah. California. But anyway. You
1: you are a missionary to an unreached people group.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so yeah. There anyway, goes. and uh, it just turned out to be amazing. It turned out to be like God was orchestrating All right. the whole thing. You know. So where what are you at? So you're in Friant now. Yeah. Tell us what you are dealing with now. Okay. Well, uh, God sent me to a little church of about 40 people. In fact, the second Sunday we were there, we had 42 people. And um, we got there in January, and I preached my first sermon the end of January. And I got my cancer diagnosis the beginning of April, so about two 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 and a half months in. Uh, so it's funny that the church has never known the non-cancer Bruce, basically. Yeah. Uh, so we've gone on this journey together, but um, it's just been amazing that uh, the timing is 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 uh, it's just perfect because this church doesn't demand anything of me. It's uh, it's it's more of a it's more of a of a maintenance job than it is leading an army job. You know, yeah. uh, mostly elderly. Uh, it's kind of a geriatric church and um and they went <clears throat> seven years without a pastor, so they learned how to take care of themselves. I told them one of the first things I observed about them is how well they do the one another's because they were taking care of each other and bearing one another's burdens and helping one another out and loving one another and and so they just brought me into the family and continued to do that so so uh, you,
1: you went there. your job is to shepherd them, and they have ended up caring for you in different ways. yeah.
2: Yeah, it was just a a a perfect match. Uh, I was what they needed, and uh, and they were what I needed. So, so and then so we've gone through this whole thing together. They've been my prayer warriors and the ones calling me and offering help and visiting me and taking care of Linda when I've been in the hospital. And
1: so you're dealing with cancer. What kind of cancer? How? Extensive, visit. So
2: yeah, the diagnosis was colon cancer, and uh, so they had to take out a third of my colon, and uh, and they got at that point all of the cancer, um, and I went almost a year without any cancer, and then it came back, metastasized to the liver, and down into my into my pelvis, uh, a lymph node, one lymph node down in my pelvis was was also malignant, so, and then from there uh, we took out the liver we got the liver chunk out cuz i don't know if you guys know this but you can take more than half the liver cut it out and toss it and that liver will regenerate itself so anyway so that's what they do they just take a big chunk of the liver and they got the tumor no more i still don't have any any tumors in my liver but um but that guy down in the in the pelvis, he continued to hang around, so we didn't go get him. And uh and so that's what we're dealing with now. The the uh the prognosis is terminal. So <clears throat> there's no way to cure it. It's systemic and it's everywhere. Now and it's uh, in your colon behind your stomach. yeah. Yeah I have more than a dozen in my lungs and then I have another eight behind in, in this canal here behind my breastbone uh on my trachea, my heart and my my esophagus, so so it's it's everywhere. So I'm gonna be home a lot sooner than you guys. Maybe unless the garbage truck hits you tonight, but <laughs> so you you uh
1: early in your salvation came to understand the sovereignty of God in salvation, how he orchestrates all things for his glory, for our yeah. good. How has that comforted you during this
2: stage of your life? Well it's it's not random, it's not a random disease that just happened to strike me. Um, uh, the disease in my body isn't random and and what he has for me is not random, so he's purposely taking me he's walking with me he's not he didn't throw the cancer down there and say, "Let's see how you deal with this yeah, but he's walking with me, and then I have learned so much about. Him and getting ready to meet him, you know. And uh, the more the more I gaze upon his face, the the more I uh I understand what Paul's tension was in Philippians, you know, yeah. to be absent with the body, or I mean, uh, to 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 die is Christ. And uh, how does that go? I lost to, it to, die, mm. to live is Christ, to live as Christ, and to die is gain, yes. And um. And I understand it for a couple of reasons. One, because I have people here that inevitably I'm, go- I'm going to hurt. It's not really me. Yeah. And I don't want to do that. Um, but I so want to go. I'm so ready to go. And it's to me, it's, it's like a bonus that I have a legitimate reason to die. Yeah, and be with him, you know. And so that's been but I can't say that everywhere <laughs> without without hurting people, you know. So but when they're when when we're looking at all these life extending things down here and down in Tijuana and, and all over the place, I'm like maybe I don't want to extend my life. <laughs> maybe I want to go home, you know. I mean I've lived a great life. And God so, has been good to you. God has been so so good and I could talk about that and definitely fill up that little phone. Yeah. But uh
1: as you're as you're dealing with the cancer diagnosis, what what are you struggling with if anything?
2: Um well I mean it all sounds very beautiful what's right on the other side of the veil, but getting to the veil <laughs> Is a little hard. Yeah. It's messy. You know, you're not, you're not scared of dying. No, yeah. no, no. I think, I think I'm good with God. Oh, yeah. So ready to go. But, uh, it would have been nice to have a, a nice clean cancer where I just lay down in bed one night and I go to be with God, you know, but my cancer is messy and ugly. And may I say crappy and, uh, so it's not clean, so I no. I wish it was, right so that that part's a struggle. The pain and the and the discomfort. And uh have you doubted
1: or wrestled at all with the doctrine of God's sovereignty and goodness through this?
2: Yeah, a little bit. In what ways? Well, um somewhere down in my deep self righteous soul, <laughs> I think God I did everything right. I did I did what you told me to do. I, I, you know, I, I went to the mission field. I, you know, some would say that I sacrificed. I don't think it was, but uh, in fact, I think it was just the opposite. Somebody said that to me once. I said, actually, I think the sacrificing person is the one sitting here in this pew every Sunday. I said, I haven't sacrificed anything. But anyway, um, so, but... A quick dose of the scripture gets rid of that. It, it does. It's it's just not real. Yeah, it's make believe, you know. And so, he's not punishing me for something I did wrong. It's not karma. Um, you know, it's a gift. Yeah, it really is a a gift. So, and how many of us get advanced notice like this? Uh, why don't you plan on being dead in six months or so? And uh, so I got everything together. I got my will together finally and and my power of attorney and I'm getting things ready for Linda. So that okay. she's not, I don't know where he, where he keeps anything, you know? So she knows where I keep
1: everything. So I heard a a professor at the master seminary who died from cancer, refer to cancer as the kind killer because it gives you a chance to, to prepare, to yeah. die, to yeah. say goodbye, to get things in order, yeah. to make the transition, to, get to know the Lord in a deeper way before you actually go to see Him. And in that way, it's a it's a gentle
2: yeah. grace. And one thing that I have uh, seen that I had never seen before is the power of hundreds of people praying for you. And that is mind-blowing. And, uh, and it gives people an open opportunity because I have cancer to, to express their love. Yeah. Which sometimes, especially men, but, uh, you know, uh, that uh, they don't do that. But you think this guy's, I might not see this guy again, you yeah. know? And so, but just the power of prayer when, when people call me and tell me that they're praying for me and I can, like, I'm like, I know you are, I feel it. I feel like God is just carrying me through this whole thing. so, and I know it's in response to the prayers of, of, of his saints. So.
1: And then this entire time you trust in the sovereignty of God and his goodness. Right. Knowing that he carries you through it and he yeah. gives you the grace to deal with it moment by moment.
2: And I did, did go through the argument with him like, well, well, who's going to take care of Linda? And uh, his answer to that was, well, who do you think's been taking care of her all these years? And I went, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. So he doesn't need me. He's used me, but... He yeah, doesn't need you. Yeah, I feel a little used, but... Um, <laughs> but yeah, he doesn't need me. He'll take care of her like he always has.
1: Through all of this, the Lord has been sustaining you. He's been teaching you. And uh, is there anything else that you would say concerning your experiences and what you've learned through all of this?
2: Um, well, uh... I have a song that I learned when I was a young Christian, the Cares Chorus. you know that song? I don't think I do. It's a a great song, and it's so simple theologically and so profound. And it basically just says, I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens down at your feet. And this is the key verse for me. And any time that I don't know what to do, I cast all my cares upon you. And I find myself praying that all the time, like, Lord, what, how am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do? You know, I said, I wish they would give us a practice run when he's going to give us cancer, you know? Yeah. So people will say something and I'll say, I don't know. It's my first time. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's, it's so true. And he meets us there. He's not. He doesn't smack you around and say "grow up and act more mature," but uh, but when you're doubting and when you're when you're weak, he's there. Yeah, and he he's so, there, and he doesn't berate us, you know. Or through all of this, I've I've known you for since two thousand and five. So this is two thousand
1: twenty two. We're at a shepherds conference right now together. Your yeah. first shepherds conference. Yeah. Um, in all of that time, I have known you to be somebody who has a great sense of humor you can be serious theological profound wise all of that and yet your ability to be quick-witted and have a whiz- a witticism or a pun or something like that has been a mark of anybody who's known you for all of these years and through all of this that hasn't changed you're still the same bruce you're not you're not morbid you're not yeah you're not gloomy you're not anything you're
2: just you're bruce yeah well, it's, it gives you perspective, but the fact is, is we are all terminal. <laughs> and, uh, and so God's just given me the privilege of knowing a little bit ahead of time. And quite frankly, I don't know anything, right? Yeah. Um, I've already outlived three months, six months, nine months. I've had six months, four different times I've been told, you've got six more months. So, and uh, so I've way outlived all of that. So nobody actually knows what they're talking about. And uh, they may be reading from a textbook, but they don't know. They don't know, and I don't know. And so you have to live life in both worlds,
1: you know. For the person who is watching this, can you close by explaining to them how they can come to know the God of all grace and comfort and peace? Can you explain what the gospel is that you trusted in
2: and that you're trusting in today? Right. Well, the. Uh, the gospel in a nutshell is that we have a predicament because you don't want me to say God hates you and has a hell of a plan for your life. Right. No, um, um, we have a problem. It's similar to cancer in that it is terminal systemic, uh, and it's called, it's systemic and it's called sin. And, um, and what we deserve is everlasting condemnation. That's we're born into condemnation, and uh, and there is no remedy. There's only one name given under all of heaven by which a man can be saved, and that name is Jesus Christ. So God sent His Son uh, to be the Savior. He's the answer to that uh, for those that are that are looking looking for the remedy Jesus Christ is the answer to that and um, and God is the one who sovereignly calls um, but the offer is open to whosoever will and uh, it just so happens that whosoever will will mm-hmm. but uh, we're not going into that so Jesus Christ is the answer the problem is sin Jesus Christ, gave his life on the cross, a real historical event where he laid down his life for our sin. He was a perfect sacrifice, pleasing to God, uh, satisfying the wrath of God. So the result of that was an unfair swap. Jesus Christ got my sin. I got his righteousness. He took my sin to the cross and to the grave. And... uh and I uh, have newness of life and a of life. And I have a life that I never had. In fact, I was dead and now I am alive. Um, and just because you're and, dying doesn't mean you're not going to keep living. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, and that is not because I was anybody special, but because I cried out to God. I, uh, I asked God for help. And he rescued me and uh, introduced me, brought me to his son. And that is available to anybody. Uh, if we will repent, turn away from our sin and turn towards God in faith, God will respond. And, uh, and that's, that results in salvation. So, And beyond that, it's profound. And it's wonderful, and it's an awesome journey. But the uh, end result is that I no no longer fear death, even though it's coming. But the sting has been removed, yeah. and uh, and I'm kind of looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, thank you, brother. Yep, pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, are interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.